0: Listen to cold blooded The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in LA, and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or
2: wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Jim Harold is among America's most popular paranormal podcast hosts. With his free programs, The Paranormal Podcast and Jim Harold's Campfire, Jim has developed a loyal following over the last 16 years that spans the globe. He's published five volumes of True Ghost Stories, Jim Harold's Campfire. Jim, welcome back to Coast. How are you?
3: I am doing well, Richard, and so glad to be with you and uh, the greatest audience in radio, the Coast audience.
2: Oh, it is indeed. It is indeed. I was talking about uh, the connection between uh, campfires and ghost stories. What do you think that's all about?
3: Well, I think there's just, you kind of hit it on the the head. There's something visceral about a campfire and something very primal about it. And aren't ghost stories when you get down to it, and stories of the supernatural, because we do a lot more than ghost stories. Don't they get down to those primal questions? What's the nature of reality? What happens after we die? So I think they both the campfire and stories of the supernatural have a lot in common.
2: Did you camp as a kid?
3: You know, I did a little bit, not as much as I would have liked, because I was a city kid, but every year we would go back uh to the sticks, to the hills of West Virginia and visit with family. And uh, I got to play country kid a little bit uh, a couple weeks every year. But uh, that's something, Richard, I wish I could go back and and do more of.
2: A lot of strange things going on in, in West Virginia.
3: Oh, yes. I never realized When I was a kid, but you've got Mothman, and you've got the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, which is kind of an unfortunate name, but that's what it was called, which was very close to where actually my uh, mom was from. And uh, I didn't know I was traveling in all of these circles, but I do think the reason, part of the reason I'm fascinated with campfire stories is um, we didn't really do it around a campfire, but on the porch, when you would go down there every summer... Family would be talking about strange things that happened in their lives, and uh, tales would always turn to the supernatural, and those are always the ones that I like best.
2: So how does the podcast work, Jim Harold's Campfire? Because you have the Paranormal Podcast, which is kind of an interview-type show. You have guests, but but Campfire is very different.
3: Yes, uh, this is the show where people get to speak. We've been doing this show since 2009. It's 90 minutes every week. We put it out on all the major podcast apps. And it's just people submit their stories. They come in, and they tell us what happened. I don't try to gin the stories up. I don't try to say, hey, be scarier. I say, sit down around our campfire and just tell us simply what happened. And I don't really need to bolster them up because they're incredible. And the thing is, as though we've done thousands of stories on the show, I'm always amazed somebody's always bringing something new, and they're always bringing something amazing.
2: Right. I mean, over the years, you, I'm guessing, have developed a pretty good BS meter, let's call it. So, uh, I mean, what to you are the, let's say, the telltale signs of authenticity or, or a genuineness with the people that are relating these ghost
3: stories? Well, I do believe the vast majority of people who call in are being very legitimate and and very sincere. And I think that these are people who say, you know, I've never told anybody this story before. Uh, I've been shy about telling it. Uh, I kind of grappled with it. You know, if if somebody says, you know, I've got a haunting and I can't wait for one of the ghost TV shows to come and check it out, then you kind of wonder, well, what are the what are the motives? But most of the people I talk to many times are trying to uh, kind of wrestle with the story, even decades later, trying to figure it out. And, and to me, that that's Max of truth-telling. And that's the vast majority of people who call into the campfire.
2: Right. And then there are those old chestnuts, let's call them, that have probably circulated circulated around campfires for, you know, generations, we've, we've all heard them. They may, there may be slight variations on the theme, but uh, do you get those occasionally and I've heard that one before?
3: Sometimes, but really the thing that's remarkable is we don't get a lot of that. We get things, uh, you know, I, I, we, and some of the stories we'll talk about tonight are, are things that I never heard before. I never heard a variation of them. And that's after doing this. For you know, doing all the, I started the paranormal podcast in 2005. So I've been doing shows along these lines for the last 17 years, and still callers will surprise me and uh, amaze me. So occasionally, yes, we do get some of those, but that's a very low percentage.
2: And they're not just ghost stories, right? Campfire is not, even though the, the books are true ghost stories, Jim Harold's Campfire, what happens on the podcast, the stories that are, that are told on the podcast are not just ghost stories.
3: Oh, no, 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 no. We have UFO stories, shadow people, which I guess is kind of a, uh, uh, a cousin of a ghost, uh, doppelganger stories, and then my favorite, Richard, I've got to tell you, um, are what I call head scratchers. And these are stories that don't quite fit a certain category, but they kind of leave you scratching your head, thus the name. Kind of saying, well, what was that all about? And those are my favorite. They're just kind of like, huh? <laughs> those are the ones right. that I love.
2: Me too. Me too. Well, let's start with a ghost story. And let's start with, um, you got a call from someone named Sue in Vermont who claimed that she was rescued by a ghost mechanic.
3: Well, um, this is another one where this happened decades ago, and Sue is still wrestling with it probably 40 years later. She was taking an evening class at a college about an hour from her home, and it was a cold, dark November night, and her car began acting up, and she was forced to pull over. It was kind of a secluded area, and this was before cell phones. And Sue is kind of a take-charge kind of person. She said, I'm not going to sit here. I'm not going to be a sitting duck. I am going to take the bull by the horns, and, and I'm going to take charge of this situation. She, she gets out of her car, surveys the landscape, and she saw some lights in the distance and said, well, they're lights. There's chance somebody's there. Let me walk towards them to find help. So luckily, it was a gas station. So she walks into this gas station. There's a young attendant there, and she tells him the situation. I'm stranded. I need help. My car's uh, broken down. And he points to the clock, and it's 7.55 p.m., and they close at 8. But he said, well, well, you know what? I'm not going to be here, but the, the owner lives right next door. Let me go get him, and I, I'm, I'm guessing he'll help you. Well, it was almost like the, the man appeared from nowhere, and he was there. And the owner appeared to be very affable, middle-aged, offered to help. Now, Sue was a a little bit suspicious, but she instinctively trusts him. He goes and looks at his car, looks at her car, says, I can't fix this tonight. But what I can do is I can tow you um, somewhere. uh, Where's your garage that you you take your car to? And she said, well, it's 40 miles away. He said, no problem. So... She gets into the tow truck. He takes her 40 40 miles away, Uh, has her write a little note, put it in the drop box, say what's wrong with the car so they can fix it. And he said, do you have someone you can call for a ride or anything? She said, no, no, I'm 20 minutes away. And he said, well, I'll take you. So he takes her home um, and, and She says, "Uh, how am I going to pay you? I've only got $3 or $4. And he says, "Uh, do you have a check? And she said, yes. And he asked for the kingly sum of $20. Even back then, that was pretty cheap for all that running around.
2: I'll say. I'll say.
3: (laughs) He said, go into your home and tell your family everything is fine. There is no problem. Everything's fine. So the next day, she was going shopping with her mom and her sister, and they went down that same road, and she said, let's go. Let's let's look over here. Here's where this really nice guy was at this gas station. He was so great to me, so nice to me. And when they passed the gas station, same gas station from the previous night, it was totally boarded up and looked like it had been abandoned for years. So where wow. is that? not wow. come from <laughs> now here's the other thing richard she thinks it may have been a guardian angel or some kind of representation of her deceased father and here's the other thing it's been a long time but she, to the best of her recollection that check it was never cashed
2: wow <laughs> great story great story and had sue um had she shared that with a lot of people or do you find that that uh they've never told anybody or very few people. And it's almost like because they think they know you and you become sort of a friend over years of listening that they can trust you and they want to, they want to unburden themselves.
3: I, I think that's true. And the thing is, is I never make fun of a person or joke with a person, even if it's kind of an outlandish claim. I mean, for example, years ago, early, in the early days of the show, we had a gentleman call in and say he saw a leprechaun. Now, on the face of it, that sounds like, yeah, you saw a leprechaun. Uh, but he, he told the story, and he explained 20 years later. He never told anybody about it. was sitting down with his brother at a dinner or something and finally told him. And his brother said, oh, you saw him, too. Uh (laughs) But the thing is, is that, Richard, who am I to say that he didn't see something? Maybe it was some other kind of being, but he processed it as a leprechaun. You know, who am I to say that didn't happen? Because I do believe that we live in a very strange world, and we get glimpses into very weird things. And um, who am I to say he didn't see something? I don't know if it was a leprechaun, but I bet he did see something.
2: Well, some people call them leprechauns. Some people might call them fairies. Uh, Some people call them little people. Uh, I mean, the the legends go back centuries and centuries. Uh, There has to be a kernel of truth there. Like you say, they've seen something.
0: Yeah. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded... The Apollo jim Murders. I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper.
2: she's a shame, you know, that they took
0: him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer.
1: Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Marmar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger.
2: Jerry in, is it Missouri, who was... Um,
3: was Michigan. This one was in Michigan.
2: Uh, Michigan. Jerry's in Michigan. And, and,
3: and I, should, I should give a shout-out because this is actually uh, Reverend Gerald Hunter who has the Haunted Michigan book, so everybody check out his
2: book. Ah, okay.
3: He, he occasionally comes on the campfire and will tell, tell some strange things that have happened to him. And he was working his way uh, through school, through college, doing midnight shifts at a juvenile detention facility. And it was a decent-sized place that had about 50 teenagers. Most of them were male, and every one of them had their own room. Now, there were three people working their nights. uh, Jerry, uh, with uh, a male attendant that that focused on the male, I guess, attendees or uh, prisoners, and uh, a woman who uh, took care of the female wing. So uh, after they had all three finished their janitorial duties for the evening, uh, they'd listen, they'd sit in the office and there'd be an audio scan that would go on. And it would go to room to room so they could listen to see if there was anything wrong or going on. So it would go two or three seconds in each room and it would flow over to the next one. Kind of ingenious, actually. This was to make sure everyone was safe and sleeping. Now, one night, as they sat and listened, they heard a 15 year old boy talking to someone, which didn't make any sense because the rooms are locked down. The room checks at night, and they're all in their own rooms. They focused the scanner on him, stopped the scan, went to them, and they heard an old man's voice responding to him. Now, Jerry's partner, who feared nothing, didn't want to go check on the young man, but eventually they decided they had to go. They got there, they listened, and the old man's voice was urging the younger voice into criminal activity. They shined their flashlight in, and the young man was sitting up, seemingly in a trance of some sort, and unaware of them. And now here gets to the creepy part. Both voices were coming from the young man.
2: Oh, dear Lord. Now, (laughs) now,
3: Now, here's the thing. The first thing you think is like a multiple personality disorder or psychological disorder. But as they watched this boy, both voices came from him at the same time, talking over one another.
2: Oh, my.
3: Yes, after some debate, they went in and the boy stopped. They shook him gently and he seemed to wake up confused and ask, what's going on? And they said he'd been talking in his sleep and did he remember anything unusual? He didn't. They needed the log while they entered his room and so not wanting to cause too much consternation, they wrote that he had a sleepless night and maybe someone should ask how he was feeling in the morning. They found out later that same night that the employee of charge of the female wing had overheard something similar with a female inmate while she was doing the laundry. She went on in to look at this young woman and check on her and found precisely the same phenomenon going on and the two voices overlapping each other at the same time. And when she entered the room, the girl reacted identically to the boy. She wrote the same note in her logbook, and it never happened again. But uh, all three of the employees dreaded room checks from there on forward in case what might happen. Uh, Jerry thinks it's possible that a supernatural force was trying to tempt those young people into bad behavior.
2: Wow. Do you ever get scared when you're recording these? I mean, I don't know, do you record them at night, uh, in the middle of the day,
3: Usually the, uh, the night, sometimes in the day, sometimes I'll get chills. It, it's not really scared, but just like, whoa. <laughs> right. I, yeah. uh, not scared too much. You get kind of immune to it. But I always joke when I talk to paranormal investigators and stuff, it's a lot easier to sit here behind the mic uh, rather than having to go out there and uh, confront these otherworldly beings. Yeah,
2: that I like my job too. <laughs> yeah,
3: I'm,
2: I'm not a I'm not a boots on the ground kind of guy. I'd
3: that's like to right. That's right. Where right with you, Richard?
2: But can you imagine being there and and seeing this young uh, young man or the, the young woman and two, and and hearing two voices coming out yeah, at the right same of the time?
3: Exorcist. It's right out of the Exorcist. Wow! But I mean, that is a real thing. I mean, you know, the Catholic Church has uh, dedicated exorcists. I mean, it's a thing. I don't think it happens as much as people might believe it does because of popular media. But it does happen, and I'm a firm believer there's good, but I also believe there's evil.
2: 100%. I'm with you. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and
0: go to coasttocoastam.com for more. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall
1: at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives.